This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Wednesday, July 6th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. The city of Chicago could examine the feasibility of putting a dome on Soldier Field. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the latest report on job openings tops today's data. Let's get insight from Gus Fauche, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. Gus, thanks for joining us today. Uh, the number of open of available jobs uh, dipped slightly, but it's still way ahead of the uh, historical pattern for the number of open jobs versus unemployed people. That, that's right. We are still at a historically tight labor market. Uh, so people continue to quit their jobs at a rapid pace, which suggests that they're finding jobs pretty easily. Uh, businesses are still reporting labor shortages. And so the, the job market is very strong in mid-2022. There was a, a substantial sell-off on Wall Street uh, yesterday to start the trading day. There was a bit of a recovery, but uh, recession worries and recession fears are uh, weighing over the markets. But uh, is this the soft landing, though? Will the job market create the soft landing the Fed's looking for? The economy is contracting, but uh, when economists actually declare a recession, they look at the unemployment figures, and it looks like they are a long way from going down. Uh, that's right. We've added 400,000 jobs on average over the past three months, which is well above the pre-pandemic pace. Uh, I am expecting to see slower job growth of around 250,000 in, in, in uh, June when we get the jobs report on Friday. But that's still a very good number. So uh, that's driving up consumer incomes. That's uh, giving consumers the ability to increase their spending. Uh, and so given the strength in the labor market as of mid-2022, it's difficult to say that the economy is in recession or even that a recession is imminent. Well, the uh, the Great Recession of 08-09 was uh, so deep and so traumatic, it took almost a decade for the uh, employment numbers uh, to recover to a 2007 level. Uh, we were talking about the jobless recovery in the last decade. I might have brought this up to you in the past, but uh, is it possible that we could see a full employment recession in the coming months? Um, yeah, it, it's possible that we could see output contract, that we could see uh, consumer spending go down, but the job market remaining, you know, certainly tight on a historical basis. Um, you know, businesses are still searching for, for labor. Uh, they are still trying to increase output. Um, and, and so we may see businesses reluctant to lay off, even if demand is contracting in the economy. But um, we won't have an answer to that question for probably another six or 12 months. If uh, people are working and they still have a lot of negotiating power uh, over their salary. Um, how does that, in fact, impact the uh, Fed's uh, efforts to fight inflation? Obviously, uh, the fear of uh, recession has driven the cost of uh, oil substantially down. Gasoline futures are down. Uh, a lot of uh, things that were driving up prices seem to be uh, moderating. Uh, but if the employment market is still red hot, uh, is that going to serve as a limiting factor on the efforts to curb inflation? 
Uh, it, it is. Obviously, wage pressures are a key component of inflation, and particularly medium-term inflation. Uh, a lot of the declining commodity prices is going to slow inflation in the short run. The question is, what happens to inflation in 2023 or even 2024 if we continue to see strong wage growth? Um, I do expect that we are going to see job growth slow over the course of this year into 2023. That will help reduce some of those wage pressures, but that is something that the Fed will be watching closely and that's why the Fed will continue to increase interest rates even in the near term, even as we see you know big declines in oil and gasoline prices. Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, Chicago may throw a Hail Mary. Try to keep the Bears at Soldier Field. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. A panel appointed by Mayor Lightfoot is expected to recommend that the city look into the possibility of putting a dome on top of Soldier Field. Let's get the latest from Greg Hines, columnist for Crane Chicago Business. Greg, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Is this a a Hail Mary pass on the part of the city of Chicago in order to keep the Bears from going to that site in Arlington Heights? Well, if it actually happens, yes, but I'm not convinced it's going to happen, Rob. Um, uh, apparently, this uh, this committee, the mayor has looked at it. Uh, uh, they've circulated a draft that I was able to obtain, uh, recommending that the city explore the possibility of doing this. But exploring it and paying for it are two different things. That has always been the problem uh, with the dome. You can do anything if you want to spend enough money, but Mayor Lightfoot has made it real clear she's, uh, much as she likes the Bears, she's not going to uh, really stick it to Chicago taxpayers, which which leads to the question of, okay, does this, financially, does this make sense? I mean, ultimately, the uh, the winning card that uh, Arlington Heights uh, holds is that the Bears would own the property. Uh, if the city of Chicago were to go through with this and actually put a dome on top of Soldier Field, would it still belong to the Park District? Um, it, it would have to, because the law is pretty clear that uh, private development on the lakefront doesn't work. Uh, remember the Lucas Museum a couple of, a few years ago, uh, even though Mayor Emanuel, the height of his power, wanted that. It got uh, sued because it was clearly running into lakefront protection uh, ordinance and, and legal difficulties. Um, so for this to even begin to pass legal muster, it would have to stay in the hands of the city, and even then, or the park district, and even then it probably would be challenged. Does this seem like something, though, that was just inevitable? Because over the decades, it sounds like the Bears always considered Soldier Field to be their temporary home, uh, all the way up to the point where they did the major renovation project 20 years ago. There was always this sense that, well, we're going to be in Soldier Field until something better comes along, whether it's in Aurora or Gary or Arlington Heights or McDome or many of the the, the ideas that were floated over the decades, and that this is just the uh, the natural end to a long process. Um, perhaps. Um, uh, clearly, Soldier Field is too small. Uh, for the Bears, it has fewer seats than the NFL stadium. Uh, clearly, it's outmoded, it's cramped, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the facilities, all kinds of facilities, including the, including the one that comes to mind, uh, are, are inadequate. That having been said, the Bears are still a family-owned organization for the most part. If they're going to really do what they want to do in, in, in Arlington Heights, it's going to take like $2 billion dollars. They're going to either have to do something that Hallis family has never done, dilute ownership and bring in a bunch of private partners or go into debt. Uh, are they really willing to do that in the end? They're, they're certainly acting like they're prepared to do that uh, out on Arlington Heights, but maybe it's a big bluff. Uh, until they've actually done it, we don't know that they will.
Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business. Thanks for joining us today to talk about the uh, possibility of a dome on top of Soldier Field and some sort of attempt to uh, keep the Bears from uh, decamping from the lakefront to the northwest suburbs. Coming up next, it's only midsummer, but not too soon to plan a strategy for back-to-school buying. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Inflation is putting a strain on family budgets, and it means planning will be needed to get the most value out of back-to-school purchases. Let's get some help from Jennifer Waters, Chicago-based business writer. Jennifer, thanks for joining us today. Uh, way back hey, when, back when I was in grade school, you know, back-to-school shopping was a one-day event. Uh, you <laughs> would go to Kids R Us and get the very latest and the coolest fashions from Bugle Boy, and then uh, look out the window at Toys R Us. The much better R Us, which was mocking you while you were buying clothes. But it was all done over the course of like a day or a week. Uh, and that was the sign that summer was coming to an end. But now uh, you got to do your back to school shopping today, even though uh, the kids might have left school two weeks ago. Yeah, that's right. And I have to, I just have to say that, Rob, what a precious memory you have. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, back to school, and I only have one child. So back to school was always such a big deal because it costs a lot of money for clothes and shoes and books and pencils and paper and all of that stuff. So especially now with inflation, you know, we're looking at 8.6% inflation right now. Parents have got to be thinking about how they're going to do this, how they're going to manage it financially. For you know, for some people, eight point seven per six, eight point seven percent inflation is going to really hit some people hard, particularly those who uh, live paycheck to paycheck. And you've got to remember, on the flip side of that too, is that gas is so much more expensive now too. So, so this is really, really hitting some people right in the pocketbook in a really big way. So what they do need to do is they need to spread it out. Like you said, I mean, school's only been out a few weeks and we're already going back to start shopping sales. You know, this is a good time for sales in July. The uh, like Amazon prime days are coming up. I think that's next week. And so this is a really good time to be thinking about that, but it's really important that you put a budget together. You, you shop the sales and you and you get whatever you can, you know, while you can ahead of time. And while there's some uh, cashback uh, apps that you can take advantage of, uh, you can also go the old school approach and uh, make sure that you save all of the uh, sales circulars from the newspaper or in that big uh, envelope of coupons that shows up at your house every week. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's never, I don't think, been more important that to really be shopping those sales than it is now. And here's the thing you got to remember about this, too, is that back-to-school uh, shopping season is a huge, huge season for retailers. So they're going to be, I mean, they know that people, uh, their their budgets are tight now. And they know that, you know, this is going to be more than just a week process or a day process like, like you so fondly remember. But um, they, you know, so they're going to be, they're going to be out there competing for your dollar, too. So just keep a really good eye on those sales. Because there's going to be a lot of them. What is the, uh, the the biggest ticket item in back-to-school shopping these days? Is it clothes? Is it technology? Uh, is it folders and trapper keepers and all sorts of cool accessories? Like, what do people spend the most money on? Well, I think a lot of it, I mean, clothes is always a big one. But here's the thing, too, about, you know, what we've seen a lot in teens and tweens 
in the last few years is that they really don't want to have new clothes until they get to school and find out what everyone else is wearing. So, you know, you've got that kind of push and pull there. But electronics, obviously, if kids need computers. And then, you know, you know, five-year-olds have phones these days, so you've got that (laughs) expense. Um, But, you know, yeah, a lot of those uh, electronics, I think, is one of the biggest expenses for parents these days. Because what they get at school is one thing, but, you know, they're going to need stuff at home, too. Jennifer Waters, Chicago-based business writer, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, weighing the danger of buy-now-pay-later services. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Another person has died from gunshot wounds suffered during the Independence Day parade shooting in Highland Park. Personal Finance Wednesday, we examine the pros and cons of buy now, pay later installment plans. And Amazon takes a stake in the food delivery service Grubhub. WBBM Business, the markets are mixed. The Dow is down 103 points. The NASDAQ is up one. The S&P 500 is down five. AccuWeather says this afternoon, still humid. Clouds and breaks of sunshine, a high approaching 80, but mid-70s along the lakefront. We have 74 degrees right now under partly sunny skies at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office says an eighth victim of Monday's mass shooting in Highland Park died at Evanston Hospital this morning. Meanwhile, bond has been denied for the accused gunman. Prosecutors say Robert Cremo is admitted to the shooting and revealed other details about the incident. The latest from WBBM's Mike Krauser. Lake County State's Attorney Eric Reinhardt says Robert Cremo confessed to the shooting. He went into details about what he had done. According to a proffer read in court, surveillance video captured the suspect in an alley going to and from the building where he's alleged to have climbed onto the roof and fired at least 83 shots into the crowd. It said Cremo was seen on video running away and an object wrapped in cloth fell out of a bag he was carrying. The assault rifle that he bought legally and that led to his identity as the registered owner. Chris Cavelli with the Major Crimes Task Force says Cremo went to Madison, Wisconsin after the shooting. Investigators did develop some information that it appears when he drove to Madison, he was driving around. However, he did see a celebration that was occurring in Madison uh, and he seriously contemplated using the firearm he had in his vehicle to commit another shooting. He also said the numbers 4 and 7 have some significance to Cremo. The 4th of July is 7-4. Cremo appeared on video from the jail. He did not speak and did not have a private attorney. That's the latest from the Lake County Courthouse. It's 12.32. The noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Uh, The markets are trending lower. We're joined by Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios based in San Diego. The website is macrotides.com. Jim, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Uh, How can you explain this uh, little bit of uh, a clawback we've seen in the last uh, 45 minutes of the trading session? Well, basically, Rob, I think we're kind of waiting uh, for the minutes of the last Federal Reserve Open Market Committee meeting, details in terms of uh, how hawkish they sounded, 
uh, and so forth. So I think, you know, the market tested a low from last uh, Thursday, yesterday morning around 37.40 on the S&P and then subsequently bounced. And now we're just treading water. It's just as simple as that. What I will note is that the broader market is weaker than the S&P and the major averages would kind of imply if you look at the Russell 2000, for instance. Now, there is a great deal of uh, recession anxiety that seems to be weighing on the markets, especially this week. Um, however, you know, despite the fact that the uh, economy has contracted and appears to uh, be contracting, according to the uh, Atlanta Fed Nowcast, mm-hmm. um, the official signal of a recession also requires a uh, jump in unemployment and substantial weakness in the job market. Uh, that has not happened yet. Does that seem possible, uh, given the, uh, the, the historic uh, tightness we're seeing in the labor market right now? Yeah, no, you bring up an excellent point, Rob, from a standpoint that the NBER, which is the official uh, arbiter of recessions, they wouldn't look at the first quarter as being a negative uh, number because they do look at other factors like employment, income, and so forth, all of which were very positive in the first quarter. So that is the conundrum. A lot of people who have been out forecasting a recession want to point to that first quarter GDP print And it was negative only because of a trade surplus, which lowered GDP in the first quarter by 3%. The actual final number was like minus 1.6. So you're right. It'd be very difficult to, if you will, see a recession developing in 2022, which has been my position all along, given labor market strength, plus consumers were sitting on over $2 trillion worth of savings as they came into 2022. So it gives them a cushion to be able to absorb some of this inflation without having to drastically cut spending. If you look at uh, some of the figures, though, about uh, economic activity, uh, it's definitely hitting the brakes. It's slowing down somewhat. Uh, Mm -hmm. The price of oil has dipped below $100 a barrel, even with all of the uh, geopolitical instability taking place in uh, in Ukraine. And um, a lot of uh, some of the the futures predictions markets are uh, betting on substantially lower inflation at the end of this year possibly next year. So if you're Jay Powell, do you look at these numbers and say, aha, it's all going according to plan? Or is it too early to say that just yet? Uh, Well, it's too early for him to say that. I mean, again, they're going to maintain, I think, a pretty hawkish tone between now and the late July meeting, because they want to see real evidence that not only is inflation coming down, but that labor market tightness is truly beginning to ease. And that labor market information is a lagging information piece. So Uh, I'm kind of in the camp I think you're alluding to, Rob, in the sense that I think there's going to be enough slowing that by the time they get to the September meeting, so after going 75 basis points in July, the Fed funds rate will be two and a quarter to to two and a half, which is near the neutral rate. I think by the time we get to the September meeting, there is a reasonable probability that the Fed will downshift from 75 basis point hikes to 50 and maybe 25. But yet the Fed is going to kind of keep their cards held close to the vest and continue to talk hawkishly in the coming weeks because that's really what they need to do. Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager with Smart Portfolios in San Diego, the website macrotides.com. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, making sure a buy now, pay later plan doesn't put you behind the financial eight ball. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and this afternoon we're putting the spotlight on Buy Now, Pay Later installment plans. We're joined by Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner and founder of Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago. The website is engagewealthgroup.com. Ed, thanks for joining us today. Buy Now, Pay Later plans uh, will allow you to buy a big ticket item that's not a massive ticket item. Like, you know, instead of a car, it's a TV or a Peloton or just some a piece of household equipment that you can purchase in uh, monthly installments. It was a convenience. It did take off in the last couple of years. But uh, what are some of the ways uh, it's proving to be uh, financially uh, troublesome or burdensome for some people? Yeah, Rob, good to be with you. You know, we've been guiding your listeners on buy now, pay later plans for a while. And the concerns we shared back then unfortunately are coming to bear with the news of a growing number of these consumers struggling to keep up with the pay later portion of these plans. And, you know, ultimately consumers are getting an overspending and especially in today's environment with inflation and increased costs, they may find themselves getting further and further behind. Now, is this uh, a function of uh, the fact that maybe uh, people were uh, purchasing these uh, you know, big, biz, medium-sized ticket items uh, with the proceeds from uh, stimulus funds uh, during the COVID pandemic, and now that they're, uh, those funds have run out, they find themselves uh, unable to pay or deferring those payments? Well, if you, if you think about the logic of what you just said, which is spot on, I mean, when stimulus payments came out, you know, people went on a spending spree for certain things, and then maybe they wanted to continue spending, even though they didn't have the cash. And so, you know, it's just common financial sense not to spend more than you can comfortably afford. But if you look at earlier generations, they couldn't buy things on credit. They had to pay for cash, right? They had to use cash to make these purchases. So it never ceases to amaze me how retailers can keep coming up with new and inventive ways of allowing us to spend more than we can afford. And then how does the buy now, pay later model work? Uh, we know how it works for consumers, but how does it work for businesses? And uh, ha- has it grown so fast that uh, regulators are unable to keep up? Yeah, great point. So the buy now, pay later scheme, if you would, it's a $120 billion business, and there's over 100 providers all over the world. So this is growing in numbers. Yet, unfortunately, when you look at the numbers of those who are using it, it's normally middle-income individuals, and especially what we talked about in that inflationary environment, they're getting squeezed. But the thing that you mentioned in terms of regulation, I think, is the most important, and that's for consumers to know this is a very lightly regulated regulated area. So while there's terms and conditions and some transparency in terms of what the implications would be if you don't keep your payments, realize that there's not a lot of safety nets for those who are involved with this. So regulation is coming, and especially given the fact that more and more consumers are behind, know in fact that regulators will be on the side of of consumers in terms of helping to help and guide them through this process. How does buy now, pay later uh, differ from old-fashioned installment plans that would be offered by, say, a Sears 40 years ago? Yeah. And so back then, you didn't get your merchandise until you fully paid off 
your plant. And so unlike then and now today, you get to take possession of your merchandise. So that whole concept of delayed gratification is just completely aligned with the way we are as humans. We want it today. And so that buy now, pay later means I get to walk away or take possession of that before I even paid. And so again, those who fail in payments have to return the merchandise and it gets really, really complicated, which is why for those who might be falling into arrears in terms of their payment, reread the terms and conditions, understand what the ramifications are to try to keep yourself from getting too deep in a financial hole. And then very quickly, if you do find yourself in that financial hole, do you, uh, do you, do you take on debt elsewhere to try to pay off that buy now, pay later item? Yeah, that's where we get concerned, Rob, is in regards to where people go for funds. So they may turn to pay um, payday lending and other elements that will cost them even more to get out of this hole. So, yes, whatever you can do to kind of rearrange your spending plan to keep ahead of these payments is really important. Ed Jertsen, Certified Financial Planner and founder of the Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago, the website EngageWealthGroup.com. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. And still to come, Amazon and Grubhub are teaming up. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Amazon has struck a deal with Chicago-based Grubhub. Let's get the details from R.J. Hadvi, head of analytical research at the foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI based in Chicago. R.J., thanks for joining us today. How does this deal work for uh, Amazon Prime subscribers? Yeah, so my understanding of the, the, the agreement here is that Amazon Prime members can uh, utilize and you have a free uh, year-long trial with Grubhub uh, that will eliminate delivery fees. I think this is really trying for Grubhub to tap into the wide reach that Amazon Prime has. Uh, there's over 200 million Amazon Prime users compared to Grubhub, which has 33 million active users, really to, to expand their, their reach. At the same time, Amazon's looking at this as another way to um, you know, entice and add some benefits to the Amazon Prime program and potentially justify some uh, some lift in fees over time. If uh, you go a year without fees, does that mean that either the driver or the uh, participating restaurant uh, does without that fee, or or, or you know where, where where do those savings come from? Yeah, I think some of that's going to have to be subsidized by by Grubhub um, over time. But I think that they're willing to do that in the near term if they. Uh, you know, if they could see a potential lift in the number of active users that are on the platform because of this partnership. So that's the trade-off, I think, here. Uh, also part of the deal, too, Amazon has the option to buy a 2% stake now and potentially as big as a 15% stake over time. Um, Amazon has certainly looked at this business before. There was an Amazon restaurant delivery service in the early days, uh, a lot of these delivery platforms uh, that it competed with, but it pulled the plug on that uh, several years ago, and it was only a matter of time before they got back in. So this is apparently the avenue they've chosen to get back in the delivery space. And there could be some complementary activity with uh, what they're doing with. Uh, it's already it's uh, Amazon Fresh and some of the other grocery delivery platforms they have in place. How is the food delivery uh, business doing these days? Um, it seems like a sector that would be hit hard by both uh, the great resignation and the uh, higher price of gas that uh, driving around and delivering food just may not make economic sense from the driver's standpoint. Yeah, I think you, you got it, too. This sector has come under some pressure as of late, and I think you, a big part of that is both gas and food inflation. I mean, you've got both of those factors raising the cost for consumers. 
uh, a lot of consumers have started to, to balk at that and just you know pick up food on their own. So this is a category that that has started to see some pressure, and um, you know some of the consumers are really starting to rethink their decisions on that too. Um, if it's already you know we're seeing a lot of pressure uh, or pricing increases just because of uh, food inflation, and when you add on top of that the uh, you know the fees that go along with delivery, uh, it has made it more challenging for a lot of the operators. And I think uh, you know so that's you know some of the calculus behind the decision here for for Grubhub and trying to partner with Amazon. And it sounds like a potential win win for Grubhub and its parent company uh, because they were exploring uh, options for a sale because uh, it sounds like uh, their business came crashing back to earth as uh, society reopened. Yep, I think that's exactly what to think about it, too. And I think a lot of people are thinking that Amazon might be a logical partner here, too, uh, for you know, potentially buying out Grubhub over time. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the company has the option to get a 15% stake here. But uh, in the release today, the company talked about uh, Grubhub still talked about potentially exploring a partial full sale of the business. And I think, you know, a, a natural suitor becomes Amazon at this point. R.J. Hadavi, head of analytical research at the foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. You'll find past programs and later today, a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.